In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the sixth chapter, we see Jesus telling the people to not be anxious about whether or not they will have food to eat or clothes to wear. And he has them to consider the birds of the air uh, and how God makes sure that they are fed and the lilies of the field and how they are gloriously arrayed by God. And he asked them, are you not worth more than they? Are you not more, worth more than the birds of the air that God makes sure is fed or fed each and every day? So then how much more will he make sure that you are provided the food and clothing that you need? And in Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 31, he goes on to say, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So if we are seeking first God and his kingdom, then he has promised that all these things that we need in this life, the food, the clothing, the shelter, everything we need will be provided for those that are seeking him and his kingdom first in their lives. And certainly putting him first includes being willing to work. Part of putting him first in his kingdom is being willing to work and strive to do our best at whatever our hand finds to do. Um, and as we do that and we serve him, he has promised that he will provide for us. We don't have to worry. Our needs will be cared for if we are seeking to put him first. And we need to have that trust in God, that he is going to provide for us. We don't have to worry about those things. Certainly all of us here can say that God has kept his promise. We all have been richly blessed by God, both spiritually and physically. We have been blessed spiritually beyond what we can ask or think. Through Jesus Christ, who God sent to this earth to pay the penalty for our sin, by being crucified on the cross and shedding his blood, and suffering and dying on that cross so that we can have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with him in heaven. He has blessed us beyond measure spiritually through his son, Jesus Christ. And because of this, as we see in Ephesians 3 and verse 21, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God also has blessed us physically with many things in this life, far beyond what we need. We live in a nation of plenty. Materially speaking, we are the richest nation on this earth. Take us and our possessions and put us in most nations on this earth, and we all would be considered rich and wealthy. And compare us to the generations of people who have lived on this earth before us, and we would be considered rich. We as a whole have more wealth, material goods, and luxuries than at any other time in the history of man. And so the title and focus of our lesson tonight is Serving God in Times of Prosperity. The Bible, God's Word, has a lot to say about this, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to consider a lot of uh, some of the things that, have, are, that God says within his word tonight on this topic. There are a lot of warnings to us as we serve God in times of prosperity. 
Every day as we consider the many things we possess in this life, the places that we live that are warm in the winter and cool in the summer, and the multiple, multiple meals that we eat every day, often with leftovers that get thrown away. And as we consider the cars that we drive, usually more than one car that we have that gets us from place to place, and we consider our closets that are full of clothes, many of which we don't even wear, we have been blessed but beyond what we need in this life. We are living during a prosperous time. And we need to be considering how we are to not forget God and we are to serve Him during this time of prosperity. In James 1, beginning in verse 16, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turn turning. And so we see that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And in Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, beginning in verse 15, we see Moses is reminding the children of Israel of what God has done for them. And in verse 15, he says, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this well. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So we see that God gave the children of Israel this manna in the wilderness, it says, to humble them and to test them so that they would do good, so it would do good for them. It would mold them and help them, humble them to the point that they would put their trust in God and recognize their dependence on God. And as they did that, they would not forget Him and remember that they were dependent and completely dependent on him for the things that they have in this life. And in Acts, the 17th chapter, when Paul is speaking to those in Athens and telling them about the unknown God who they worship, he says in verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, in all things. So it is God who gives us our very life on this earth, the air that we breathe, and gives us everything that we have in this life. And so we should never, we must never forget that all that we have in this life comes from our Father in heaven, and we should thank Him daily for His abundant blessings. And so we need to be aware that these great blessings bring with them responsibilities as well as potential hazards. These great blessings should draw us closer to God. And when we recognize and don't forget that all that we have in this life is from God, and we use our blessings to glorify Him, they do draw us closer to Him. But over and over in the Bible, and in the history of man, we see that when man is prosperous with regard to the material things of this life, 
we tend to drift away from God and forget God. The need for God is blurred in our minds. We think more about the things and affairs of this life rather than, we think, than what we think uh, about God. And we think more about the here and now than we do about our eternal destiny after our life here on this earth. And so when we're prosperous and we get so engrossed, engrossed into the things that we're doing in this life and the things that we possess, we can forget God. Moses warned Israel of this danger in Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, beginning in verse 11, where it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So we see that Moses warns Israel of this danger, that when they, had, they go into the land that God has promised them and they build the beautiful houses and they multiply their herds and their flocks and their silver and their gold, they would forget God. Forget that it was God who had given them all these things and forget their dependence on him. And we see that Israel did forget God. When things were going well and Israel was prospering, they would, they would forget God and would use the things that they had to transgress God's laws rather than use them to glorify God. Over and over during the period of the Judges, we see Israel constantly going through this cycle of serving God and becoming prosperous and then they would allow their prosperity to cause them to forget God and worship their things rather than the God who gave them all these things. And today we face the same danger. If we honestly look at ourselves and certainly at the society we live in, we will see the same things occurring in our lives and in the lives of those around us that occurred in the lives of the Israelites during times of prosperity. How often each day does our mind turn toward God and our dependence on Him? How often do you think about God and your dependence on Him for everything we have in this life? How often are we thinking of how we will use the things we have to glorify God through service to others rather than how we can use what we have to satisfy our own desires? How often are we thankful and fully content with what we have rather than wishing we had more and trying to figure out ways to get more, to improve what we have, to increase what we have? Are we thinking more about how we can use the things to satisfy self or how we can use them to glorify God? Working hard as we're commanded, as we see in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, and enjoying the good fruits that comes from our labor, labor is a gift from God, as we see in Ecclesiastes. This is repeated several times in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, and also in Ephesians, or Ecclesiastes 5, and verses 18 and 19. We see here that the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, who many believe is Solomon, says in verse 18, Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun 
all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. So we need to always remember that all these things that we have in this life that give us joy, that bring us pleasure, it is a gift of God that we can enjoy these things. And when we're enjoying them, when we're eating our meals, when we're out there enjoying the recreation that we engage in and all the things that we do, we need to rec recognize and remember that it is God who gives us the strength, the intellect to do these things. And we need to be thankful to our God for this gift. So as we enjoy the fruits of our labor, we must always remember that it is God who gives us the opportunity, ability, and strength to work, and that the fruits of our labor are a gift and blessing from Him. And this is vital, this is key and vital to maintaining the proper perspective in life, realizing that everything that we possess in this life and our ability to enjoy it is a gift from God. He is the one who makes it all possible. Everything we do in this life, everything we have and everything we do, enjoying the things that we have, is a gift from God. He is the one that has made it possible. And we need to make sure we never forget that it is God who has provided us with all these things. The danger is that when we are prosperous, which we all are, we are all prosperous, we will become proud and forget God who blessed us with all these things. Rather than thinking or thinking of God who gave us all these things, we pat ourselves on the back and we begin to think too highly of ourselves. We become proud. And we say to ourselves, look at all that I've been able to accomplish. Look at this house that I have. Look at these cars that I have. Look at the great job and all the things that I've accomplished in this life. And we become proud. We think highly of ourselves and we forget God. And rather than using these things to glorify God, we use them for our own glory and to satisfy our own selfish desires. In 2 Chronicles, the 26th chapter, we have the, the example of King Uzziah who became proud and ignored God's command when God had blessed him with great prosperity. In 2 Chronicles 26, beginning in verse 3, it says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And also in verse 8 of that same chapter, it says, Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. And in verse 15 of that same chapter, it says, And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men, to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. So God had made Uzziah strong and prosperous, but as we go on in this chapter, in verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. 
So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Ezariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leopard until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So even though Uzziah had started out right, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And God had made him to prosper and made him exceedingly strong so that his fame spread far and wide. We see that because of that, he became proud and was lifted up and he transgressed the law of God. And as a result of that, he was struck with, by God with leprosy. And so we can very easily, today we can very easily fall into the snare of prosperity and like Uzziah, become proud and forget God and His commands and, do what, and start doing what we think is best, what we want to do, rather than doing what God wants to do. And we need to be sure and be careful, be vigilant that we do not fall into the same trap that people and men like Uzziah have fallen into. In Romans, the first chapter, we have a description of a people who ignore God. We see them ignoring God, who is the obvious source of their blessings. And we see that they suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. In verse 20 of Romans 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God and they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The description that we have here in Romans 1, unfortunately, I believe, accurately describes the society that we live in today. We see our leaders and the people around us drifting further and further away from God. Our laws, which once tried to encourage compliance with God's law, are being changed to permit and even encourage violation of God's laws. In this nation, there once were state laws that, that said that fornication was illegal. Most of those laws have been abolished and, and, in, and ignored for a long time. The laws of this nation originally were greatly influenced by the moral laws that we have within God's Word. 
Uh, this is often referred to in our society as Judeo-Christian values. A lot of our laws were influenced by what is called Judeo-Christian values, which are values that are found from within God's Word. But more and more we see this changing. Uh, in our lifetime and over the last many years, we've seen states legalizing, of course, fornication, adultery, and divorce for any reason. We've seen prayer unto God being removed from our schools. We've seen states recognizing same-sex marriages and transgender schools supported by tax dollars. And of course, we all know about abortion, uh, the Roe v. Wade that was uh, legalized abortion back in January of 1973, which was overturned or overruled in June of 2022. But there's still a lot of states that have legal abortion, have legalized abortion. And these are just a few things. There's alcohol and drug abuse that is rampant. There's pornography available at our fingertips. There's just things all around us in this world and in this nation in which we live. And I'm afraid that, as we, that we as a nation, a most prosperous nation, are precipitate, precipitating our own demise, just as other prosperous nations in history who have gone before us. The greatest danger we face as a people and as a nation is not attack from our enemies from without, but it's sin and corruption and erosion from within. What is going to destroy this nation is not attack from enemies. It's going to be the sin and the corruption as we forget God and we get further and further away from God. That's what will destroy this nation, is when we forget and leave God. But we as Christians must keep our guard up, and even though we are prosperous, and even though we are faced with a society that is moving further and further away from God, we must not forget God. Even though we are very prosperous, even though we have many things and are rich in this life with many things, we need to make sure that we don't forget God. We do not allow these things to cause us to get further and further away from God and to leave Him and forget Him. We've got to remember from whom all these blessings come and remain faithful to Him, serve Him, and not to be drawn away with all those that are around us that are forgetting God and rejecting Him. Even though the worship of graven images made by man of wood, silver, or gold is not as prevalent today as it was in times past, that does not mean that idolatry is not prevalent and rampant within this world, for it certainly is. Idolatry begins within the heart of man. This has always been the case. In Ezekiel, the 14th chapter, the elders who came to consult with Ezekiel pretended to want to seek God, but they had idols in their heart. In Ezekiel 14, beginning in verse 2, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, 
and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. And then later in Ezekiel 33, verses 31 and 32, God explains to Ezekiel that the hearts of the people were not pure, but were only concerned with seeking their own personal gain. And the same is certainly true today. Idolatry within the hearts of men and women today is, is rampant. Obsession with material things, entertainment, and recreation is rampant within the world today and certainly within this most prosperous nation in which we live. How many today are more concerned with the football game on Saturday than they are on worshiping God on Sunday? How many today are more concerned with planning out all the fun things they're going to do while they're traveling on their vacation than they are with making sure that they have a plan for worshiping God with the saints in the area where they will be traveling while they're on vacation? How many are more interested in reading that new novel than they are with reading the Bible? How many are more excited about going to the ball game, the concert, or the latest exciting movie than they are with assembling with the saints to worship God. The list can go on and on of how this culture, this society that we live in, where entertainment, recreation is so important and takes up so much of our time that we can become so obsessed with those things that it squeezes out and drowns out the time that we have to serve God and to worship Him, to spend time studying His Word, reading His Word, and joining with saints in our worship unto God. These things start in the heart, and given time, instead of just wishing we could go to the ball game or concert that is scheduled at the same time as our worship service, we actually go to the ball game or the concert rather than going to join with the saints in worship unto God. The children of Israel wanted a king to be like the nations around them, as we see in 1 Samuel 8, verse 20. And that desire to be like the nations around them certainly must have influenced them to introduce elements of idol worship into their worship. And today, we certainly are not immune from this same temptation to be like the world around us. The world around us literally idolizes celebrities of all types, rock stars, musicians, professional and college athletes, movie stars, and the world wants to imitate them in the way they act, the way they talk, the way they dress. This too is modern day idolatry that elevates people and things to a place of higher importance than God and, and His will for man. And when we seek to imitate the world around us by wearing the lewd and immodest clothing that they wear, or engaging in the vulgar speech or lifestyle that they live, we are just as guilty of practicing idolatry as the children of Israel were in Old Testament times. So we're not immune from idolatry. It is all around us. And if we're not careful, it can be in our own hearts as we are idolizing the recreation, the things that we have, the recreation 
and these things that are, and the people and these celebrities that are around us. In Luke, the 16th chapter, beginning in verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Mammon is a Syriac word and is the name that was given to an idol worshipped as the god of riches. It is not known that the Jews ever formally worshipped this idol, but they used the word to denote wealth. And we cannot serve the true God in heaven and at the same time cherish and be focused in this life on accumulating the wealth and the riches, that the mammon of this world. In Mark the 10th chapter, we read of a young ruler who came to Jesus asking him a question. In Mark 10 and verse 17, it says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So we see in this passage, the story of the rich young ruler, they are speaking to Jesus, that one who is rich with the goods of this life, which we all are, is at high risk of not following Jesus, not being willing to give up everything we have to follow Jesus? Are we willing to give up everything we have to follow him? That these things that we have mean nothing. We've got to follow him. We've got to use these things to follow him. They don't belong to us. They belong to God. We're to be using them to serve God and follow Jesus. So there are great risks for all of us who are prosperous in this life, which we all are, that we can reject God. We can forget God. And that's what's very clear here. That it's going to be hard for a rich man to go to heaven. We're all rich men. We're going to have to be vigilant. We're going to have to be on the alert to make sure that these things in life, the things we possess, the recreation, all the things that are around us that eat up our time do not cause us to forget God and reject Him 
We've got to make sure that we're putting him and his kingdom first in our lives, using these things that he's given us to serve and glorify him rather than just to satisfy our own selfish desires. Jesus makes it very clear that those who have great possessions and riches in this life are at great risk of trusting in those riches so much that they will not trust and follow God and his son, Jesus Christ. We see men in the Bible who were rich with great possessions in this life, who remained faithful to God, men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Job. But we also see men like Solomon, who although blessed by God with great wisdom, wealth, and power, broke every warning that God had given to the Israel to Israel regarding the kings who they would set over them when they possessed the land and God, that God gave them. In Deuteronomy 7, and I'm not, I'm not going to read all of this for lack of time tonight, but in Deuteronomy 7, 14, verse 20, we see that the instructions that God had given to the children of Israel through Moses was that the kings that they set over them when they went into the land should not multiply horses for themselves, and they were not to multiply wives for themselves, and they were not to multiply silver and gold for themselves. But what were they to do? They were to take, they were to write for themselves a copy of the law in a book from the one before the priest and the Levites. And they were to take that and read it every day of their life. They were to read from that book of the law every day of their life that they may learn to fear the Lord their God to be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that, that the king's heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. This was the instruction given for the king that would be over the children of Israel, the kings. They weren't to multiply these things. Why? Why were they not to do that? Because it would cause them to forget and reject God. But what were they to do? They were to make a copy of the law and read it every day so they would remember their dependence on God. And that's what we have to do. Those of us that have the riches of this life, we've got to make sure that we are in God's word so we remember our dependence on him and remember that everything that we have comes from him. We see that Solomon broke every one of these warnings given by God. In 1 Kings 10, we see that Solomon traded extensively in horses with Egypt, and he greatly multiplied silver and gold. In 1 Kings 11, we see that he multiplied wives. And again, for lack of time, I'm not going to read through all of this, but we see that he had uh, 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And so, it, for it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And so we see in verse 11 of 1 Kings 11, it says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you, and give it to your servant. But he didn't do this in the days of Solomon. He did it at the hand of his son because of, of David. He says, however, I will not tear away the kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem. So we see that in Solomon's latter days, 
He rejects and is not loyal to God because of all these great possessions that he had. And so if one as great as Solomon is, as wise as Solomon, can fall away, certainly we need to be aware that we can do the same if we're not vigilant and on the alert. It's, a, it's sad to see the decline in Solomon's loyalty to God in the later years of his life. No king, no man ever had greater opportunity to accomplish wonderful things for his people than Solomon. The conduct of Solomon during his declining years should teach us that we must ever be vigilant to maintain our trust in God and not trust in riches, prestige, and power that we may come to possess in this life. We must not let the world enter and rob our heart and life of God. If one as wise as Solomon could have his heart turned away from the Lord, certainly it can happen to us as well. We should follow the admonition that David gave to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 in verse 9, where he said, Know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the, of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And so rather than letting our prosperity draw us away from God, we should use our prosperity to glorify God. In Ephesians 4 and verse 28, it says, Let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So we're to labor with our hands so that we have something to give to those that have need. That's why we work with our hands, is so we can give to others. Not just so we can accumulate things for ourselves, but so that we can give to others. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. In Galatians 6, verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Helping others is not something that we should do only when it is convenient and doesn't require us to go out of our way. We need to be looking for opportunities to help others and be willing to go out of our way to help those who are in need. And I, we all know the story of the Good Samaritan, and I'm not going to read through this tonight, but we know the story of the, Luke's, of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. We see that the Good Samaritan certainly went out of his way to help the man who was left half dead by thieves. He bandaging and pouring oil and wine on his wounds, putting the man on his own animal and taking him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, giving the innkeeper two days' wages and telling him he would repay him for anything that was needed over that when he returned. You know, how many of us are willing to go and do what the Good Samaritan, for some stranger, someone we don't know, how many of us are willing to sacrifice our time and money and take care of someone that is in need? We need to be willing to go out of our way, to sacrifice our time, our money, to help those that are in need. It is, it's easy for us to become so consumed with our daily affairs and obligations that we become oblivious to the needs of others. Often it is when we are the most prosperous and busy with our own affairs that we are the most selfish and unaware of the needs of others. And why is that? Why is it 
that when we, are, when we are the most prosperous, that we become so unaware of the needs of others? Why is it that it takes something bad to occur in our lives before we can become aware of the needs of others? Unfortunately, we often have to endure something bad in our, in our life, a loss of our job, a loss of our health, or a loss of a loved one's health, or a death in our family, for us to realize that there are things more important than continuing to build bigger and bigger barns and to store our goods on this earth. And rather than doing that, we should be using our goods to help others and thereby laying up treasures in heaven. In 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, in verses 17 and 18, the rich are commanded to be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. And so even when things are going well, and when we are enjoying good health and prosperity, we need to make a conscious effort to make sure we are aware of the needs of others and doing what we can to help others. We, should be, we need to be a godly and content people. In 1 Timothy 6, in verses 6 through 10, we see that now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We must be content with what we have, regardless of our state. Whether we're rich or poor, we need to be happy and satisfied with what we have and not be constantly seeking more and more. Our riches and prosperity with which we have been blessed can become a snare to us and cause us to fall away from the faith if we've become consumed with gaining more and more in this life. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So we need to work hard at the honest vocation that we have chosen or ha has been given to us, and then be, then be content with the fruits of our labor, whatever they may be, and use these fruits of our labor to serve others while on this earth, because we can't take our riches with us. Let's not wait for a tragedy or crisis to come in our lives, to kick us into our senses and cause us to recognize our dependence on God. Let us be a people who will serve God in both prosperity and adversity. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 11, it says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So just as Paul, we need to be, learn to be content, regardless of our state, whether we're rich, whether we have many possessions, or if we're poor. We need to be content in using what we have to serve and glorify God. We must never forget God in whatever state we're in. And we must not let our society, as it draws further and further away from God, to draw us with it. It can happen before we know it if we are not careful and are not vigilant. And instead, we should be trying to draw others closer to God by the lives that we live from day to day, using the abundant blessings that God has given us to bring glory and honor to Him. If there are any here tonight who have, have a desire to be born again,
by believing and confessing your faith in Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of your sins and being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, or if you have already done this and, and have a need to confess your sins publicly and ask for the prayers of the brethren here, you will have the opportunity to do that now, what together we stand and sing. <laughs>